0: I want you to turn in your Bibles quickly, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4. Today we are going to hopefully finish this book. We're going to be beginning this morning with verse 13, Romans 4, verse 13, through the end of the chapter. Say amen when you find it. That way I know. Okay, some of you are still looking. Romans 4. The title that I've given this message this morning is Fully Convinced in Jesus. Fully Convinced in Jesus. It's one of the verses in this passage where Paul, the apostle, will utter those words. Fully convinced. Everybody there? Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is is written, I have made you the father of many nations, In the presence of the God in whom he believed, he gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Here it is, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised the dead, Jesus, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Father, I thank you this morning for our time in your presence so far. Now, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to read your word right now. May you inspire us. May you motivate us. May you quicken us according to your word. May you enlarge our faith and our territory. May we leave here today that much stronger because we've taken in the word of God, the word of truth, the almighty living God. We thank you for this time in Jesus name and everybody says. So we've been talking about faith so far in our Roman series, specifically the faith of Abraham, how he was actually made right with God by just simply believing in him. Let me ask you, how many of you have been made right with God simply because you have chosen to believe in the word of God and something transpired in your heart of hearts where you turned your life around? How many in here like this? Amen. It's called repentance, right? When we hear the word of God and we believe, we believe in. By faith, we turn our lives around, we give ourselves over to the almighty living God. Something miraculous takes place on the inside of us. That's the faith of Abraham. And we've been talking about that so far. The argument, though, by some, some of the people that Paul was thinking about when he penned this particular letter, these um, imaginary opponents, if you will, the argument by some of them was that salvation is given, was given only to the Jewish individual. And Paul the Apostle in these verses, we're going to go over them one verse at a time. But Paul the Apostle essentially, he, he says, how can that be? Because Abraham was neither. neither, I don't know if you noticed it in the text. Paul the Apostle says, Abraham wasn't even, he wasn't necessarily a Jew yet, and he wasn't even circumcised. And in this text today, Paul continues to illustrate his theme. The theme that we began with from the very first verse in the very first chapter of this one particular book. Justification by faith. What does that mean? We talked about it. We're going to be talking about it uh, perhaps next month. Next week, rather. When we enter into Romans chapter 5, that's where really, really, he ramps up that theme, justification by faith. But I want you to think about that for a few moments, at least another 30 seconds. Think about the fact that in spite of your sin, in spite of your ignorance, your empty spots, if you will, the void that we possess in certain areas of our lives, we've been declared righteous because of what Jesus fulfilled at the cross. Amen declared righteous. We've been justified. We've been made clean. And in this passage, Paul the Apostle goes on to cite a few more examples concerning Abraham's life. Look at verse 13 with me. It says, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. I already stated That there were certain people Paul was contending with who actually believed that salvation was reserved for the Jewish people and the Jewish people alone. In fact, there were many, for many generations in the Old Testament, Jews actually believed that salvation was reserved for them and for them alone and that the Gentiles were dogs and that the Gentiles were lost not realizing that God loves us all. Amen. God loves everybody. And in this one particular verse, he it, 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 it goes on to talk about a number of extremely important things. In fact, this is extremely important because it ultimately establishes the fundamental truth of salvation. Paul begins to give us information concerning who and how we are saved. And here we have a promise made to Abraham and his descendants. But the Bible goes on to say in this verse that the promise wasn't just about land. It wasn't just about royal, the royal line of Jesus. It wasn't about those particular things that, we, that we're probably going to get into in later chapters in this Bible. It was about land and it was about all those amazing promises. But it was about more than that. The promise was about an inheritance that would one day be realized or fulfilled at the cross. An experience that you and I are able to have here today and hopefully our children tomorrow. I'm talking about salvation in Jesus. Look at the verse again. Verse 13. It's Jesus. He's calling somebody in here. Hear that? Jesus, he's he's saying, pay attention, pay attention for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he should be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We're going to get into it in the successive verses. If it were by law, then the law would have canceled out the original promise. But that wasn't the case at all. Talking about the wonderful truth that you and I are experiencing here today. Because of Jesus Christ. That one day, Abraham was looking forward to the cross. God was prophesying. He was revealing a mystery that was uttered in the, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15. We talked about that many times. Proto-Evangelium. That prophecy that one day, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Living God Himself, He would take on this physical form, just like you and I, Die on an old rugged cross. Shed every drop of blood in his body so that you and I can have this experience that we are having here today. A wonderful promise. A wonderful promise. But there's more to this verse. We talked about the promise, but what about the offspring that is mentioned here in this text? Secular, listen to this secular tradition would have us believe that all signs point to the Jewish person of today. That that's the offspring this one particular verse was talking about. And Paul the Apostle says, no, stop, pump your brakes, because that's not the case at all. The promise was made to Abraham before he was circumcised, and all that other stuff that was introduced when the law was given. The promise was given years before, and an offspring is mentioned relative to his faith talking about you and I in this passage, that one day you and I and the millions before us and the millions, hopefully that will come after us. You and I are that offspring. Those of us who had the faith of Abraham, who believe in him outside of the law, outside of the works of the law. He goes on to explain this. Look at verse 14. For if. It is the adherents of the law, the adherents, the people who subscribe or ascribe to the law, the followers, the doers of the law. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So track with me here for a moment. In Genesis, I believe it's Genesis chapter 11 or 15, somewhere along those lines, where the promise was given to Abraham that we just finished talking about. And then years later, the law was given to Moses. Some would say, and some have said, and some still say today, that the law that was given after the original promise, that the law somehow canceled that original promise. Is that the case? In no way, shape, or form. In no way, shape, or form. And so Paul is having this dialogue, if you will. It's called the diatribe. With this imaginary opponent. And he's trying to correct his audience in Rome. Saying, that's not the case. It's not just the Jewish people who are to be saved. It's everybody who will believe according to the promise. According to Abraham and Abraham's faith. Because to cite or to say that the law determines salvation. Is to cancel out the original promise. Let me move on. Also here, verse fourteen. Now, I got to keep track of time. Let me keep moving. Look at verse fifteen. It says, "For the law brings wrath. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression." Paul refers to the true purpose of the law here, which was to render us. Guilty before God. The law wasn't intended to give us life. It was intended to slay us. To render us guilty before an almighty God. To reveal you to you. Like somebody said this morning in Sunday school class. I'm not going to say any names. Dave Goodwin. But he was talking about that. And he said that he's a dirty rotten heathen. Right? He was. He isn't anymore, so you watch your tone, young man. He is not a dirty, rotten heathen, but he was. Right. But he was. And so the law's purpose was just simply to expose that within us, without the law. If the law didn't say today, you take something that doesn't belong to you, guess what? You're going to go to jail, right? You violate that law. You, Even you, young lady, with that beautiful accent that you have. You go ahead and take something that belongs to me and doesn't. I'm going to press charges. And you're going to jail. Right? So that's obvious, right? If you break the law, you're going to go to jail. And that's all God was doing when he introduced the law. He it served as a schoolmaster, if you will. As a teacher. to guide sort of to push the people toward the cross. To realize that you need me in your life. And without me, you are nothing. Without me, you're actually going to perish. But there's something more in this verse besides what I just said about the law. The verse actually says, where there is no law, there is no transgression. There have been a lot of people then, now, and in the future who actually believe that if you're a recipient, if you're, say, the Gentiles, let's just stay in the Word of God, that the Gentiles who... We're not given the law, and somehow, because they didn't have the law, they were sinless. And is that true? Is that the case? If you're somebody, if you're a society without a legal system, that somehow you can't be held accountable to any moral law, any moral standard? No, that's not true at all. Just because the Gentiles in the Old Testament were outside the family of the Hebrew people and did not have the law, it did not mean they were sinless because there is a moral law and it's imprinted in all of our hearts and they were held accountable. But anyway, Paul the Apostle goes on to clear some of that stuff up. (coughs) But here I believe God purposely intended grace, purposely extended grace to mankind before the law was given, and it, and established it as a perpetual standard by which man should be saved. So some theologians have said some other things about that clause. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. I believe Paul the Apostle was introducing grace there. He was talking about that. And it's the reason why God selected Abraham many years before the, the, the giving of the law. When there was no law, he chose a man who was deep in sin because Abraham and his family, they were idolaters, idolaters. Read that in the book of Genesis. They had idols, idols. They worshiped the enemy. They worshiped spirits. It's called witchcraft. And in that mess, he chose them nonetheless and found them guiltless because of faith. Let's move on. Look at verse 16. It says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace, and be guaranteed to his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In other words, the promise wasn't given, the promise was given before the law, so that it could be based upon grace and be received by faith and faith alone. How many you know that salvation has always been determined by the grace of God? According to this faith on the inside of us. To believe in the word of God. To believe in God's report in spite of what the law had to say. To be justified by the grace of God. And Paul, this is Paul's argument. You're going to see how it continues to um, unfold. Look at verse 17. He says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things... That do not exist. And this verse right here, what it's doing is actually supporting the previous verse that we just finished reading. It's it's about the widespread casting of the net of grace. It wasn't just for Jewish people. If that were the case, then God would have instituted the promise when he gave the law. But that wasn't the case. He calls Abraham out of his sin, away from his family. He gives him a promise. Abraham receives it by faith. And then he makes concession, God does. It's even included in the law that they had to make room for other people to absorb people that actually believed in the God of the Bible and who did so by faith. Speaks of Abraham's faith in the promise, or rather, in the presence. I I really need glasses. And more than just these things. Can't even see my own type. It speaks of Abraham's faith in the presence of an awesome God. Verse 17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things which do not exist. And this is Genesis chapter one, essentially. When God created all things. And in Abraham, he's now, Abraham is now somehow essentially being called into action to believe in the Almighty God. Just think of that. The Almighty God who created all things. Who created you and I. Who lives and exists. We know that he does. Whether we believe it or not, whether society believes in the God of the Bible or not, He lives, He reigns, and He extends Himself to all of mankind. Not just some, not just to a certain class, which is Paul's argument here. He's not just in Israel. In fact, Israel is more atheistic than the rest of the world today. Did you know that? In so many ways. I said this last week, I think it was in Philly sometime. Uh, or maybe shortly after we arrived here in California the other day. How many of you, not that you follow, so that won't be the right word. You've seen the news with the, you know, with the the, the rainbow, the flag, the, the gay parade that takes place in San Francisco and stuff and stuff like that. Did you know that one of the biggest parades along those lines occurs in Israel? Did you know that? Research it, you'll see it. Where hundreds of thousands come out into the streets. They do not necessarily believe. They know he exists, but they don't they're not serving him. They don't have the faith that you and I have here today. So Abraham hears these words. Again, look at your text, verse seventeen. He hears these words from God. He's challenged to the core. And it's as if he does a quick reality check. He says, I'm old, my wife is old, and my wife is barren, yet I believe my Heavenly Father's every single word. He believes in spite of his circumstance. Remember, he's, he, 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 the, the text talks about the fact that he was a hundred years old, and his wife, in fact, was barren. Listen, listen to, look at 18 through 20, and listen to this declaration. In these few verses, it says in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, not just one nation, but many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Again, Abraham's essentially saying, I'm old. My wife is old. I can barely move around, much less entertain the idea of jumping in the sack with that woman. Yet I believe in the one who has given me instruction, with whom nothing is impossible. Can you imagine that scenario? He's listening to God, who's calling him. Now I want you to think about this in your own personal context, while you listen to these words. God calls him. He considers himself quickly. Can this actually really be possible? I'm an old man. My wife is old, and she's barely—look, she's barely alive. Can you imagine? Have you, have you given this passage some thought? Or when you read it in Genesis, what God must have done in their physical bodies to make the promise come true a reality? Can you imagine? He's like he's like this, and then what? He's like, I got this, honey, let's go, let's go. And can you imagine, she's like, she's probably like this. She's probably like this, she she straightens out. In fact, she takes the initiative, honey, I'll be waiting for you. And they run in the room, right? And God miraculously, me I mean, just using my imagination, but think of it. Think of the strength, the regeneration in their physical body just to bring this to pass. He believed by faith, and it's the reason why you and I are sitting in this room here today. Abraham was a type, he was a shadow of things to come in Christ Jesus. Adam was the unfaithful one. God begins a wonderful transition when he selects Abraham faithfulness, a type of Christ, a type of the one who was to come. To point the nation of Israel to the cross and the finished work in Christ Jesus. Which is the reason why you and I are able to sit in this room. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 through 21 read. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Just think about the miracle that took place in the physical bodies. And what God has done as a result. And what God desires to continue to do in your life and mine. And I say that's I say that with intent, and it's the reason why I've called you up earlier, so that we can pray, so that together we can exercise this faith we have been given. How many know that your faith and mine is not rooted in some philosophy? It's not rooted in some tradition, some culture. It's not. It's rooted and grounded in what thus saith the Lord. And at some point, our faith needs to grow some legs. And we need to believe that God is able. It's the reason why I read Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21. God is able. I don't know what you're going through. I mean, I got, I got some glimpses when, you, when, you, when we hang out. There's a lot of difficulty represented in this room. And the challenge is just to simply believe. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate What's going to transpire in your future, not when you know the almighty living God. Guess what? He's on your side. It doesn't matter what he say, she say, they say. It doesn't matter what your... What, what even. Let me say this. It doesn't even matter what your doctor is saying about your prognosis, the diagnosis, whatever the case might be. It doesn't matter what they say because there's a God in heaven who is able to turn your situation around. Wasn't that not the case when you came to believe? You were dirty, rotten heathens before you came to Jesus Christ. Isn't that so? I mean, some of you are even, we should all be ashamed of the things we used to do. Right? You've thought about that from time to time. Wow, I actually did that. I actually engaged in that. That we, we make peace with sin for so long... That it becomes normal. But now this side of the cross. And I look back. Oh Lord have mercy. I can't tell you. Some people say. Rick why are you so loud? Why are you so rambunctious? Listen I nearly died and went to hell. That means something to me. The fact that this word brought me to life. It means something to me. It's, it, this is everything. That's why during that first month Here, back in October, I talked about philosophy and all that stuff that I know I made some of you nervous when I was saying those things. Tim and I talked about this not too long ago. It wasn't because I was speaking against philosophy per se. Because we have to borrow from it. It's the reason why we've determined a 1045 service and how we go through the service. That structure, we get it, we borrow that from philosophy. My intent was to put within you this idea concerning the wonderful promises or the absolutes of the word of God. And that our lives should be completely determined by the principles of the word of God and not by some secular humanistic ideology. That at some point we got to be willing to, you know what, you know, that's not going to work today. We're going to move in this direction today. You see what I'm saying? We've got to be sensitive to what really matters. I want to be objective behind this pulpit, not subjective. I don't want to go with the flow. I want to declare what thus saith the Lord, whether you want to hear it or not. Philippians chapter four, verse 13 and 19. It says, "I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. These are some of the principles that was going through Abraham's mind as he's hearing, as he's receiving this call from God himself. I need you to go. I need you to separate. And Abraham considers everything. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I believe every word nonetheless, and I'm going to follow. And just think, and just think, when he's about to plunge that knife, Mount Moriah, that's how I see it, into Isaac's chest, God stops him. He accepted the challenge. That's what faith looks like. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what faith looks like. doesn't matter what you're going through. Listen, tie your tie your sneakers, girl. Tie your tie your bootstraps, whatever it is you have to do. Believe God. And believe God. Listen to these verses. First John four, four, and first John five, four. It says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Your faith and mine determine our place in the kingdom of God. Not some ideology, not something outside of the word of God. Your faith does. And if you are not where you should be, when you look into the mirror, metaphorically speaking... And you see that there's something out of place. All you have to do is get into the word of God and it will revolutionize your spiritual DNA. It'll transform your life. This is our substance. Doesn't matter what you're going through today. There's a God in heaven who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we could ask Imagine or think. He can turn your situation around. He can resolve all of your problems, etc., etc., etc. Look at 21 through 25. It says, I'm fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, there you go, right there. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, in the same way that Abraham believed and experienced all those wonderful things throughout the span of his life, you and I When we give ourselves over to Jesus Christ, we can and will and shall experience the very same things. How many know that God wants to do great exploits in us and through us? How many know that? How many know that when you pray, just the liberty, just the liberty to be able to pray is a miracle in and of itself. See, I appreciate those things. I try never to let anything like that escape me. I want to embrace all of it. It's alive to me. It's substance from God to me. And I make, and I, and I just enjoy it and I appreciate it. The, the liberty to be able to pray and to actually be heard by God Himself. He's on my side. He's on your side. I think that's good news. And that should pep some of you up. That should wake you up here this morning. That's good news. We serve a risen Savior. Abraham was fully convinced that God was going to fulfill everything he had promised. Everything. In verse 22, look at it. That is why it was counted to him as righteousness, because he believed in God. And as a result, he went on to establish an extraordinary example for you and I. In fact, he set the example. It's called faith. We are to believe the way he did. Not to believe according to some legal system. Not to believe according to some legal standard. Some religion. Some custom. Some tradition. None of it matters. And all of it should pale in comparison. Concerning to the substance of God's voice. In our lives when he speaks to us. That's what matters. Look at 23 and 24. Paul states. It didn't only apply to him. It was for all of us. It's right there. It was for all of us. In 25, he was raised for our justification. And justification means declared righteous. It means that we are free indeed. Look at, I'm going to close with this verse. Can I, can I get the worship team to come? If the worship team is still here. Look at, look at John 8.36. Go to John 8.36 because we're going to close with that one. John 8 36. It says, So if the Son sets you free, you will or shall be free indeed. If the Son should set you free, you shall be free indeed. How many know Jesus here today? Come on, let me see your hand. Don't be afraid. This is that moment And both hands. That's it. I know Jesus. (laughs) I know Jesus. Listen, listen, look at that last verse again. Look down at your text. Look at that last verse. It says he was raised for our justification. That means you're free, baby. That means I got one witness, just one, just one. That means we're free in Christ. There's no law binding us to death. It doesn't mean we are sinless, as some would suppose, because I don't know about you, but I bend these knees every single day because I got some issues. My issues have issues, right? We all do. Some of you more than me. Don't be looking at me like that. Some of you more than me. Right? But thank you, Jesus, for making us free today. Oh, they're still getting ready. Adam's, faith, Adam's unfaithfulness brought us death. And Abraham's faithfulness brought us a shadow of wonderful things to come. In Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you this morning for worship. Thank you this morning for prayer. That we were able to bring so many forward. To just simply believe in you by faith. Just put the burden on you. Because that's what you say in your word anyway. Casting all our cares upon him. For he cares for us. We've done that. We are doing that, Father. We're going to continue to do so here in this church, in this building, under this roof. We're going to believe in you, Father God. Because that's what you ask of us. Thank you so much for saving our souls. Thank you so much for this wonderful justification. How you've redeemed us. How you've freed us from the yoke of bondage. How you set us free in so many different ways. We thank you, we praise you, we magnify you. And God's people say, Amen. Stand with me, let us worship together this one song. i
1: because you I'm accepted.
0: Thank you so much for this time in your presence here today. pray that you minister to you, to your people here today continually. I pray that you help us, those of us who know you personally, <clears throat> to take ownership of this wonderful thing called faith. And what you actually want to fulfill in our lives through our faith. Not our reasoning, not our intellect, not our finances, not our philosophy, or our traditions. You want to transform our lives and the people around us, and you want to do it through our faith. Help us to yield ourselves to you in that way, Father, this week, and to be encouraged, no matter what we're going through as individuals, or as a church family. Help us to know always this week, Lord God, that you will never leave us, you will not forsake us, that you're with us in front of us, behind us, and all around us, encouraging us to follow Abraham's example. We thank you so much for that. And Father, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you personally, may you continue to prick that person's heart, Lord God. So that he or she or they may understand here today that Jesus Christ is the answer and, there's, and, there, and that there is an open door, there's an open gate for salvation here today. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ personally, this is an opportunity for you. There may be one, there may be more than one. This is an opportunity. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done it doesn't matter what you're involved in today either. If you can bring yourself to believe in Jesus by faith and give your life over to Him, you shall be saved. You make that declaration. But you've got to believe by faith. That means you have to turn your life. You have to be willing to turn your life around. Not become perfect. Not to overcome your current weaknesses. That's going to take some time. The rest of your life even. I'm talking about turning your heart around and saying, I believe. I'm broken and undone. I'm unworthy, but I believe. And today, if there's somebody here today, you can be saved by just simply crying out to Jesus. Would there be one? Just put your hand in the air. Nobody's looking around. Just put your hand in the air. Somebody here today that wants to believe. You want to believe in Jesus. You want to know this, Jesus. All you have to do is pray a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I know you died for me, and I believe that today. I also know that I am a sinner, and that I need you in my life. I am willing, Jesus. Today, I give you my heart. Today, I give you my life. I confess you today as Lord and Savior. Please forgive all my sin and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me the strength that I need to be a disciple, to be a follower of you for the rest of my life. Father, again, thank you so much for our time in your presence. I pray that you've reached somebody's heart here today. We magnify you. Be with us. Throughout the rest of this day and this week. Until we come in here again to worship you intentionally, in spirit and in truth. We praise you in these things we pray in Jesus name and God's people say.
1: Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen.